And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 138 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today on April 14th, 2019 at 11:12 a.m. just a few hours before Game of Thrones season eight appears, but that's just for another podcast. I have joining me today Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Dan Bayer. Good morning. Nicole Ackman. Hi, friends. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And you heard her last week for the first time here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Joining us again, our newest member, Casey Lee Clark. Hello, hello. Good morning, everyone. This is where you all say good morning, Matthew. Good morning, Matthew. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a lot to discuss this week here on the show. We have some stuff to talk about and what I am calling the hashtag cinematic streaming wars. Uh, We are also going to talk about the preview for the Cannes uh, 2019 Film Festival lineup, the 72nd annual year of the widely popular international film festivals announcing their lineup this week. So we're going to talk about anything that we heard that might be appearing there. Uh, we're also going to go over the polls. We're going to answer some uh, questions from our fans, and we have some trailers to discuss. But first, I want to start off with the question I normally always ask everyone. What did they catch up on this week? Why don't we start it off with Michael? Oy vey. Well... Remember two weeks ago I said I saw Dumbo? Yes. And you were so happy because I had seen that and Gloria Bell in the same week after having seen no movies the previous week. Well, you didn't ask this question last week, and I'm sort of glad because the answer last week was I didn't see anything. (laughs) I have the same answer this week that I didn't see anything. Michael, what what are you doing with your life? (laughs) I am so busy. I started a new job recently. I am so invested in that, and I just have not seen any movies. Mm. Well, you know what? Hey, new job is very, very important. Got to establish yourself. Show that you're a hard worker. And then when you establish a little bit of tenure, then you can say, hey, listen, I'm going to do 50% of my job and 50% ABP. You guys understand, right? (laughs) I think if all goes according to plan next week or the next weekend, I'll see Amazing Grace. Oh, okay. I've heard that's phenomenal, by the way. Isn't that right, Dan Bear? I have heard that it is phenomenal. I haven't seen that, though. Ah, gotcha. I thought that you had. No. Okay. What did you see this week, though? Okay. <laughs> um, started out the week like late uh, last Sunday night, uh, seeing a screening of Sauvage, which premiered mm. last year at Cannes, which um, I actually quite liked. Uh, there's not a thing new in it, but I thought it was done really well. Um, the... Oh God, I'm forgetting his last name, but Felix, uh, whatever. M. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Felix Marito. Yeah. Uh, who's the star is really, really great in it. 
Um, and it was at Film Society of Lincoln Center, and they had a talk back afterwards with the director, uh, Camille Vidal-Naquet and uh, Felix Maritot. And it was really interesting hearing them talking about the process and how they saw the movie. And a- after hearing them talk about you know, their process of making it, I was very much thinking to myself, that makes so much sense with how the movie comes across. Um, and so I really, I always appreciate those kinds of Q and A's and I was really happy that I saw it. Um, then this week I <laughs> had a really movie centric past couple days. Um, I saw on Friday night, I saw little with Regina Hall and Issa Rae and, uh, Marcy Martin from blackish on TV. And that was, I don't want to spoil too much because my review for the site is forthcoming, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, the audience I was with absolutely ate it up, and I really enjoyed myself during that screening. Um, you know, it's a little rote, but it's fun. And then yesterday, um, because it was the only thing playing around the time, I ended up going with a date to see Hellboy. No, you did not. Oh. Yes, we did. Oh, God. We both went. <laughs> I will say this, like, it was because, like, we, it just the timing, it was the only thing that was playing around the time that we were like, let's go to see a movie. And we both went in fully knowing that it was going to be bad. And, like, to me, that's the only way that I will ever knowingly watch a bad movie is with someone else. I would never have gone if it was just me. That's fair. Because if it's so bad, it's laughable. At least you're enjoying that good time then with somebody else, and then you can, like, joke about it afterwards. Right, exactly. Like like the way Parm and I joked about it afterwards on the podcast together. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is, like, Hellboy is not so bad it's laughable. It's just bad in the most boring, banal way possible. And, ugh. You're not going to hear any arguments from me there, that's for sure. I mean, like, when even Mila Jovovich can't liven up your movie you have a problem. I was saying to Josh on the podcast, Rebecca Ferguson pretty much played the same role in The Kid Who Would Be King and did right. it so much I, better. And I kept thinking the whole way through about The Kid Who Would Be King and how much better it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is like, that's not necessarily a feeling you want to have when you're trying to be this hard R, you know, reinvention of this um, franchise. And I... Uh, I mean, I posted on Twitter before I'd even seen it, like, remake or reboot a Guillermo del Toro movie at your own peril. And I think that stands because there is nothing in it that, you know, (laughs) Guillermo del Toro did everything better back with Ron Perlman. And this is just... uh, I felt bad for everyone in this movie because it's a cast of people that I really, really like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Josh Parm, I know you saw Hellboy. We talked about it together. Uh, what else did you catch up on this week? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I recommend listening to the podcast for the Hellboy review. If you really just want to hear me eviscerate a movie that I absolutely hated. <laughs> also, too, first time ever, Josh, what did you do on the podcast? Oh, it's the first time I've ever given a movie a one out of ten. <laughs> it, it was that horrible. Uh, it is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But we got a discussion on it. Best not to dwell on it for me. <laughs> <laughs> More distance I can put away from that movie, the better. Um, 
After that, though, I did end up seeing Highlight. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Saw this back at New York Film Festival, and I've been waiting for some of you all to catch up on it because, oh, boy. <laughs> it, yeah, it is a very interesting movie. And to be honest with you, I don't even know if I can really come to a conclusion just after one viewing of it. It's very meditative in a lot of aspects, and it's a bit sluggish and bloated sometimes but then it'll get really interesting in kind of the themes that it's describing and i think the cast is really solid too so i I, overall i liked it but i think it is a movie that definitely requires more thinking about it but overall it it was certainly an interesting experience and i would at least recommend that to be honest with you i was bored out of my mind and I could, I could see that. I could see how it could be boring. But I think it's one of those movies that if you're not sort of in tune to the frequency of it, then you're just going to be lost. And for a good deal of it, I was tuned in. It, it's not perfect, but I, I was very intrigued by what I was watching. I, I will at least say that. Hmm. So I saw that. And then I actually did get a chance to see Amazing Grace. Oh, good. And... I think the movie is just fine, to, to be honest with you. I, I can understand why people would really get into it, but essentially this is just a concert movie in a church. And the music is great, and there's a lot of great footage that you're getting to see, but it never really becomes more than that. You know, you're just watching Aretha Franklin in this setting, in a very uh, small setting, sing these very beautiful songs, but that's really all you get. And maybe if you understand that going in, you'll have a really good time with it. But this isn't something where, you know, you're going to see Sidney Pollack having conversations with his crew about, you know, how to pull this thing off or anything like that. It is just her singing. And for that, it's good, but it just isn't anything more than that. Okay. Casey Lee Clark. So I didn't see any new current releases in the theater, but going on in Philly this weekend right now, there's like a little mini film festival going on with the Film Society of like stuff that screened at Sundance and South by Southwest. And last night, and Matt, you'll be happy to hear this, I saw Loose. <gasps> I didn't even know that was here, Casey. Yeah. I'm My telling you, I'm telling you, like that was the movie at Sundance where I watched it and I was like, Octavia Spencer is winning her second Oscar and this better be a screenplay nominee. Like I can't even fathom. It's the best. It's the best performance of her career Holy by far. Holy shit! <laughs> definitely, uh, she definitely seems like someone, even regardless of the role, who's primed to win a second Oscar very soon. Yeah, and she's one, obviously loved. And this one, it's just so nice to see her get this like complex, juicy, dramatic role that I felt like was different than other stuff I've seen from her. And she was never being like the comedic relief of anything. It was very much, which I feel like she kind of was sometimes in Shape of Water, not excluding certain scenes. And it was just like a different side of her. And there's just some like scenes in this that are so powerful. Hold I off. Don't... Wait until Ma. Uh. <laughs> Ma looks really good. <laughs> that looks like a really good movie. Yeah. And to be fair, too, I- I'm sorry, Casey. I don't mean to steal your thunder here, but I also just got to heap a tremendous amount of praise upon Naomi Watts, who oh, yeah. delivers some of her best work in a while as well. And Calvin Harrison Jr., I know that he's kind of already broken out, but this is a movie that's going to, I think, catapult him to like the A-list status. Definitely. Yeah. I hope I hope this film does well and it doesn't become like a the the indie movie that we all think should have been nominated for everything. So Yeah. No, because on, honestly, like I have not seen 
Like that's that's honestly one of the most brilliant screenplays I've seen in years. It really is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. I've like so my heart is pounding right now just even like thinking back on that movie. All right, Gaver. Nicole? Okay. Um so I've watched a couple of things in the past couple of weeks since uh you asked this question. One, for loyal listeners may know that I am trying to catch up on some Marvel stuff before Endgame. And I watched uh, the first Thor film, which I loved. Kenneth Branagh is one of my favorite directors, so I was always destined to love it. And then I also watched Thor The Dark World. And I got through it, so there's that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very, very different type of movie. I will say, performances were good. It's just that movie doesn't know what it wants to be. Um, And I also watched Unicorn Store, which is now on Netflix, which is Brie Larson's um, film that, I mean, it's been trying to find a home for a while from what I remember. Um, And it's, it's definitely out there. It's very unique. It kind of feels like if Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter made a movie. Uh, (laughs) But like, I really want Samuel L. Jackson in a pink suit and a, sparkly afro to come fix all of my problems now um (laughs) he's fantastic in it brie larson's fantastic in it it's really out of the box and something new and something that you don't see a lot of things like um and it made me really happy so like if you're having a bad day very much recommend watching unicorn store i agree nicole it's just delightful it really is i saw with my little eye a movie called Fast Color this week with um, Gugu Mbatha-Ra. I love her. I've heard a lot of interesting things about this movie. I went in completely blind. Uh, Julia Hart, Michael, you might remember from a movie called Miss Stevens. Oh, yeah. I missed, that was a good movie, Miss Stevens. Uh, you're the one that put us all onto it, I think, if I remember correctly, actually. You know, I think she is actually married to Jordan Horowitz uh, from La La Land, the producer who had the thing at the Oscars. I think that makes sense, because I, if I remember correctly, I think I saw him promoting this on social media, so that, that definitely lines up here. Yeah. But this movie is very interesting in the sense that it is a unexpected surprise superhero origin story that I, like I said, I went into this completely blind. I didn't know what it was exactly, but it's like, it's an indie character drama based three generation female person of color led film. It's something that I I just feel like I've never seen this story before. And that was very, very exciting. And it helped to overcome some, you know, some, some filmmaking faults that I found. But just the uniqueness of its story and what it was trying to do and how the story unfolded and from that perspective really made it something that was worth checking out, I feel like. Uh, it's not the greatest movie I've seen this year. Uh, it's, not the, it's not the worst either. It's just somewhere, somewhere like stuck in the middle, but it definitely is something that I still would wholeheartedly recommend, especially if you're looking to see something uh, a little different. And then uh, finally, uh, saw Hellboy and, well... <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> the less said, the better. Uh, myself, my mom, and my grandmother binge-watched all of season seven of Game of Thrones last night until three o'clock in the morning. Uh, we kept doing this whole, uh, all right, are we ready to pack it in? And we looked over my grandmother, and she just threw her hands up, and she was like, might as well keep going. So we just kept going. <laughs> I love it. And then by the time we got to the last episode and we saw that it was like past 1.30 a.m., uh, my grandmother was just like, 
well, we've come this far. <laughs> so we watched the entire <laughs> oh God, thing. I love your grandmother. Um, it was a lot of fun. For my grandmother, it was like, she's seen it before, but she doesn't really remember it at all. And my mother, uh, same thing. Like, they watched it when it aired week you know, week by week. They don't do rewatches like I do. So that was a lot of fun to help get ready for t- today's uh, premiere of season eight. Uh, but other big things that are happening in the world of uh, film, as opposed to television right now, uh, we actually have the Cannes Film Festival lineup uh, being announced this week, which obviously is something that's very, very exciting, something that we always look forward to. They're going to announce on April 18th. So what we know for sure is we know that Jim Jarmusch's uh, zombie comedy film, The Dead Don't Die, is definitely going to be playing there in competition. Now, I have to ask, has anyone here ever seen Only Lovers Left Alive? I have. No. I have. And thoughts? Do we, like, you know, just, I'm asking for thoughts because I know that that's more, you know, the Jim Jarmusch style mixed with genre, and I feel like that's what this is going to be, but the marketing is trying to sell it as more of a, mainstream zombie comedy and it's yeah, like that, that's not what that ain't gonna be. fly <laughs> jim jarmusch only makes jim jarmusch movies yeah and you either right. love that or you really don't love it yeah exactly so, i actually didn't mind only lovers left alive i knew what it was going into it and i wanted to see the performances and it's exactly what it sounds like it's jim jarmusch making a movie about vampires and it's just them talking for about two hours mm-hmm. and living their life and lounging around and that's the movie so and then he did uh, Patterson a couple years later, which was really great. But Patterson was basically only lovers left alive without the vampires. You know, <laughs> just, you know just a movie about a person and his life and what he does. And I guess this is going to be the same type of formula, only about uh, zombies. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's got that exciting cast. Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton wielding a katana, I, chopping off zombies heads. Yeah. That's that's honestly yeah. worth the price of admission alone for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is what once that is the element that is the most exciting thing for me to see this movie because to be honest, I was not a big fan of Only Lovers Left Alive. I thought it was actually pretty overrated when I when I saw it. I really wasn't a big fan of it. And I don't know if I'm really going to be that cozy to this movie either, but you put Tilda Swinton in anything, I'm usually going to go see it and you give her a katana and killing monsters and I'm even more there. Exactly. Uh, we know that Pedro Almodovar uh, will be back at the festival with his new film, Pain and Glory. That already opened in a couple countries, didn't it? Uh, I don't remember, actually. I don't remember hearing I about it. I think it opened in a, a Latin American country. So it's, been, so it's been available like in Spain for a little while? I may be mistaken there, but I think I just heard that he had a movie that was premiering somewhere and was said to be his best in a while. All right, let me see here really quick. Uh, yes, Michael, you are right. It has been out since... Yeah, March Wow, it's been out since March, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that this won't be a cat. No, I, I, I highly think it will be. Almodovar is the type of name that you would expect to appear at can, and especially yeah. if he's bringing stars Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz with him, that'll help to add you know some star power to the event. Yeah, Tarantino's going to be there, I've heard. That, uh, you know, how, how could he not be, honestly? It's pretty much happening. Uh, Rocket Man is going to be there. That's been announced. Yeah, it's the opening, right? No, it's going to be uh, the Jarmish movie is the opening. Oh, right. But Rocket Man will be there. I don't know if it's going to be in competition. I would think that plays out of competition. Rocket Man being there reminds me of Great Gatsby playing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Great Gatsby like, was the opening. May release, but I think this will be a little 
Well, yeah, I, I don't want to say better received because Gatsby won two Oscars. Or no, one Oscar. But, uh, actually, the, the, the big like mainstream but auteur movie-ish is the opening movie. But in this case, it's, it's I know it's playing out of competition. Uh, yeah. The Dardans have a new movie that I think will be there. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. About Ahmed. So they're always worth checking out. Terrence Malick has that uh, new I film. going to happen. Yeah. I, I and that's supposed to be pretty good for what I understand. <laughs> it's not one of his, uh, you know, meandering experimental things. Well, it's the first time he's taking like a real life story. Yeah. So it's uh, retitled. It's called A Hidden Life. Uh, it's about an Austrian uh, objector who, uh, during World War II, Sure. I mean, like, there's a plot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I do not really care for Terrence Malick movies. There's only been one that I found to be, like, exceptional. And everything else has ranged from, like, fine to, I would actually say, pretty abysmal watching. I haven't even seen his last movie. I couldn't bring myself to do it. So I know a lot of people get excited about him. Life. Yeah. Oh, well, Michael, you're, you're sparing yourself, I have to say, because every movie he's done since Tree of Life, in my opinion, has just been like I, I coined this phrase a little while ago. Like to mm-hmm. me, he doesn't make movies anymore. He makes what I call movie videos, uh, which is like a play on yeah. music videos because yeah. it's yeah. just random col- collage of images set to music and voiceover. And it literally plays out like a music video. But instead of MTV, it's at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. Oh, here, there's a new movie from Ira Sachs. You remember Ira Sachs? He did that great movie, uh, Love is Strange, and then yeah. a follow-up of uh, Little Men a couple years ago. Yeah. He has a movie called Frankie, and it's starring Marissa Tomei, Isabel Huppert, and Brendan Gleeson. Oh, that's yeah. a good cast. Mm. Now, that's definitely playing, or that's likely to play? Likely. I've mm. gone through a list of uh, speculated titles. I've yeah. heard that Pablo Lorraine's uh, new film with Gael Garcia Bernal is uh, expected to pay, play there, I believe. Yeah. That would be nice. That's all the information I need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, the Lighthouse, the new Robert Eggers movie. I know oh. many of you are looking forward to that. I would be I, so I yeah. ecstatic. That has Ken written all over it to me. Willem Dafoe's in it. Robert Eggers had that success with The Witch a couple years ago. It seems like they're going to want to have this in a slightly larger uh, competition than just Sundance. Uh, Ken Loach has a new film coming out called Sorry We Missed You. Uh, he's a he's a filmmaker that I believe. Uh, well, his last he film, won, like, I Daniel Blake won, won the Palm Dor, right? Yeah. Yeah, he won the Palm Dor last time. Yeah, that was yeah. the second Palm Dor. Right. I'm not a Ken Loach fan, but I would expect to see him there. Uh, what else is? Does Xavier Dolan have a film this year? Because you know yeah, if he does, so. then death well, he's filming one. Already oh wait, wait, it, right? he's, on, he's on the list here of uh, speculated uh, titles that can. Here's a well, movie, he's uh, filming a movie right now. I don't know if it will be ready in time for Can, but I know he is yeah. filming something. Last year's winner, Coriata for Shoplifters, apparently has his first English language film Ooh. with Ethan Hawke and Oh, oh, I could definitely see that. But is that ready? Is that who knows? Finish? Who knows? He's on the list of like speculated oh, yeah. things, but who knows? Snowpiercer and Okja director uh, Jun Ho Bang uh, has a film called Parasite, mm-hmm. which might end up playing there. There is a movie that is somewhere in production. I guess it's finished and just looking for a festival. But I don't know that Canada's going to want to touch this director now after there have been some negative stories about him. 
and I cannot pronounce the name for the life of me, but it's the director of Blue is the Warmest Color. Oh. Derek Z in France? No, 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 not, not Derek. <laughs> um, I can't remember his name either, Michael, but yeah, I, I, I know yeah. exactly what it is you're talking about. I don't think it would be uh, very good optics to have him at the festival based on some stories we've heard about him in recent months. Yeah. But I would not put it past Cannes to invite him back as a, a former Palme d'Or winner. Oh, wait, Blue is the Warmest. Sorry, I was thinking Blue Valentine for I don't know why yeah. that was... <laughs> The other blue that movie. was strange. Never mind. <laughs> uh, oh, here, there's a new movie. Uh, Matt, you're going to be impressed by this pronunciation. A Pitchapong with a Seth Cool. You know who that is? Ty Jim. No. Yes, Ty director. He did, uh, what was that movie? Uncle Boone Me. Oh, gotcha. And uh, was it called Uncle Boone Me Recall Our Past Lives or something like that? Yeah, he has a yeah. new film, looks like. Sean Durkin has a new film. Remember Martha, Martha, May, Marlene? <gasps> You're kidding me. I've been waiting for his follow-up for years. This movie is Jude Law and Carrie Coon. Oh, Thank yes. God. I like. I love Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene so much, and I was so much looking forward to what he would do next. I can't believe it's been this long. That was a movie that when it premiered at Sundance, everyone thought it was going to be an Oscar thing later in the year for Elizabeth mm-hmm. Olsen and John Hawks and the editing and cinematography, all this stuff. And then it just went nowhere. Speaking of somebody that we've been waiting for a follow-up film from for a long time, does anyone know what's going on with Ben Zeitlin? I think that's going to be held for the fall. From what I understand, it's finished and he's tinkering with it. And I think we could expect to see that at some point this year. And then something that I know, I feel like we speculate about this almost every other week. I'm going to just throw it out there and just see what you all think. Here we go. Ad Astra. <laughs> I refuse to believe that that movie is real anymore. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's still on Disney slash Fox's calendar. They even uh, had a little thing for it at CinemaCon where it was on their big calendar for the year. But also but, apparently it's still not done. And there's no trailer and it's set to open in about a month. So yeah. don't expect to see that Memorial Day weekend. No. no. <laughs> Plus it's also opening apparently the same day as Aladdin. Which I can't imagine Disney slash Fox will have movies opening the same day like that. Mm-hmm. So it's not happening. You'll see the movie at some point, I'm sure, but uh, not this spring. I feel like at this point it's going to get pushed out until the fall, winter. And I have this feeling that I, I have this feeling the film is probably not that good. No, it was supposed to open last Christmas. Exactly. I mean, it's going to open probably the same day as Where Do You Go, Bernadette? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which by the way i don't know if anyone noticed was delayed again this past week yeah i saw yeah, that. like a week yeah but still like they can't just settle for a slot but some movie yeah oh and the very last thing on this list for can by the way uh some of you will love this some of you will hate this there is a new gaspar no way film another one yeah i'm all for it looks like but uh that man uh can't escape uh press whenever he has a movie so there you go i i i have to say climax was it was something (laughs) (laughs) climax was was a fucking trip yeah literally (laughs) like (laughs) the trip to end all trips (laughs) wait what was that movie that it was like the ultimate bad trip or something like that should have been climax's tagline there you go (laughs) i don't remember i don't remember exactly but i wholeheartedly agree with you there so there's definitely a lot to look forward to in the next coming weeks as far as can goes but beyond that looking ahead to december we have a movie coming out that is very very much anticipated 
Star Wars Celebration Day occurred this week, and we were all waiting with great anticipation for the reveal of the title of the final film in the Skywalker series and the teaser trailer, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Let's take a look and let's talk about it. We've passed on all we know. A thousand generations live in you now. But this is your fight. The shot where she was hugging. Yep. Yep. Leia. And I'm suddenly crying in the office. (laughs) And with Leia's theme playing. Yeah. My God. I'm so happy that they managed to find a way to incorporate that leftover footage that they had of Carrie Fisher into this film. I still don't know how it's going to actually, like, from a story standpoint work. All I know is that I will cry when I see it. <laughs> I, I hope that it just doesn't take away or distract or like I really hope that whatever it is they use and how they use it is seamless. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's I mean I'm I'm glad that they're not CGIing her uh yeah. like they did General Tarkin for uh Rogue One. No offense. Uh but I understand the route that, that they want to take with this. I just hope that it's not like I said, I hope it just doesn't pull me out of the movie. I, I think, well, I think it may pull us out of the movie because, like, we know that Carrie Fisher is no longer with us and that will automatically make for tears. But that's but, fine, though. That's no okay yeah, pulling but, out. I know, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think they've had enough time to work on it and figure that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, other than that, we also got a shot of uh, Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian. Yeah. Did we know he was going to be in the movie or was that just a reveal in the trailer? I think that was confirmed. I feel like that I was heard confirmed. That. Yeah. Okay. What wasn't confirmed and what was a complete surprise was the ending to the trailer that had everyone scratching their heads. And that is the return of Palpatine, the Emperor, Ian McDiarmid. Like, what? <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> Like, is the Emperor a uh, 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 force ghost or something? I was like, say, yeah, like, it has to be, yeah. Somebody said they should have titled the movie Star Wars The Emperor's New Groove. 
<laughs> oh no. That's too funny. I, I have to say, I really don't like the title. It's grown on me. At first I was like, what is this? But like, I feel like I've seen enough theories on Twitter and I feel like this trailer came out two days ago and we're already like knee deep in theories. Like, I don't yeah. know how I'm going to survive. But that's the thing. Like, I feel like that title was, it was used specifically to bait people. I mean, I thought the last Jedi was also Blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. but that made sense, like, given, you know, the, the, the trajectory of the titles throughout. Like, Last Jedi... Okay, I buy that as a title. The rise of Skywalker. I mean, very funky. It it is. It doesn't flow. It doesn't. Yeah. I do think that they're going to try and usher in like some sort of. I feel like they're going to build with the rest of the content that's going to come after this on that. If that makes sense, like I feel like it's going to set up something even after this trilogy. Yeah, like Skywalker is a concept more than just the family yeah. name. Precisely. Well, isn't that what they established at the end of Last Jedi with the final shot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. And that's what I think that the title of this is playing into, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to continue that thorough line of the rise of uh, Jedi everywhere, like a whole new generation basically coming through. I don't think it pertains to Luke Skywalker himself. I agree. But on I, the other hand, if this does become like a feature length version of the series finale of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I'm going to be a little pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Parham, what do you think? Um, it was fine. <laughs> I, I am the worst person to ask when it comes to Star Wars stuff. I feel like those movies are good. They are perfectly fine, but I do not have the same like childhood nostalgia for them as many other people do. Um, the, the trailer looks like it's good in the same way that the other trailers look like they were good too. The only thing that I am actually legitimately concerned about with this film is I hope it doesn't do too much retconning of the last Jedi and take away a lot of the interesting elements of that film and kind of rewrite that history. That is the only thing I hope this movie doesn't do. Uh, But otherwise, yeah, I mean, I'll go see it and I'm sure it'll be a good movie. Uh, JJ Abrams coming back doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence, but you know, I'm going to try to be hopeful. Kathleen Kennedy is too savvy a producer as to erase what happened in the last film. Mm. Uh, I don't know. The reaction against it was really strong. Yeah. Now, I didn't like The Last Jedi. I really loved The Force Awakens, but The Last Jedi, I didn't like it with the reason that the trolls don't like it. I just thought it was sort of a boring movie, personally. But, you know, I think Kathleen Kennedy understands that she has to find the balance and continue this story. She can make this one a little more accessible and bring it back to, you know, the tone that J.J. was going for in Episode Seven. But I think she knows what she's doing in, you know, ending this chapter. Um, they have confirmed that there will be a time jump between The Last Jedi and this movie. Yeah, which I think makes sense. Yeah. I think with a time jump, you can do a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, and that could explain also the Carrie Fisher bit. Um, that could explain why all of the cast members after being separated so much in The Last Jedi are all together again seemingly for this story. Mm-hmm. A lot of, sh- lot of shots with C-3PO, Poe, uh, Ray, Finn, like all of them together. BB-8 and his new little friend. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that also kind of like reminds me a little bit of La, what was it return of the jedi when they're at like jabba the huts and it's like luke han leia like they're all like together in the same scene and everything you know 
Um, I Listen, here's the deal. I think it's best to just go into this with tempered expectation because I think what we did with Last Jedi is we went in with too great of expectation and we got a very different kind of Star Wars film and it just divided the, the fandom, completely divided the fandom. Mm-hmm. So much so that now, after the rise of Skywalker, Kathleen Kennedy and everyone else has said that they are going to be taking a break releasing Star Wars films after this one. So in 2020, we will not get a Star Which Wars film. Which is a film. good idea. Yeah. yeah. I think that's good. <laughs> you have to let the franchise go away for a little while for people to miss it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What we do have, I think, will be on uh, Disney Plus, which we'll talk about later in the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think everything will be going in a different direction. This is the end of the Star Wars movies, the saga as we know it. There's going to be no more, you know, Poe and Ray and Finn and Luke and all, all of them. I think this is the end of that. Right. I will say every time, like, we get another one of these trilogies trailers that confirms that Ray is the main character because this one does feel very Ray centered. I just like want to cry with joy a little bit. Like <laughs> I think whenever the force awakens, you know, that trailer first came out and there was all that backlash against having, you know, a new trilogy led by a female character. Um, mm-hmm. No, every time that they, you know, that star Wars just kind of is like, yeah, and it works. So like, suck it. Like <laughs> I, just get more and more excited. <laughs> I don't think people appreciate it. I think they take for granted the fact that Star Wars is the biggest property in the entire world. And the lead characters of these movies is a black man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a Latino man. And uh, an Asian woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a Wookiee. I... <laughs> Which, like, the reaction that Kai Marie Tran got at Star Wars Celebration Day just melted my heart. Yeah, yeah. that was beautiful. So, so happy because she is amazing and just a beam of light. And the sh- shit that she got after Last yeah. Jedi. Was that was the thing about The Last Jedi. Like, as a movie, I wasn't a fan, but I found myself having to defend it against some, like, truly hateful rhetoric out there. Yep. That was just so uncalled for. Like, I defend everything with the people in that movie, even if the movie itself wasn't perfect. Right. I will say this trailer had a, a shocking a shocking lack of uh, Richard E. Grant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Carrie like, Russell. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Carrie Russell's apparently in this. That's right. Yeah. As Felicity. <laughs> uh, no, she's actually as Elizabeth Jennings from The Americans. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got the JJ connection there. We got two questions from fans this week pertaining to the rise of Skywalker. Uh, at HLVD Movies asks, do you think, based on what you see in the trailer, that Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker could be in line for a Best Cinematography nomination? It looks amazing. No. I, now, if The Last Jedi couldn't <laughs> break that lineup, I, yeah. I don't think this mm-hmm. one will. Is it the same cinematographer? No. Unless they do something like, I know it's not Deacon, but like if they pull a Skyfall or something where it's like, so breathtakingly beautiful that they get rid of their genre bias in that category. You know, I'm not going to say never, but I just wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel the same way. That's a good, and that's a good way of looking at it too, Michael. <laughs> um, although I do have to say, as far as these latest two, Force Awakens and Last Jedi, have been my absolute favorite. Yeah, just unbelievable visuals in both of them. So this will get nominated for a handful. Remember, if uh, if the film was positively received, remember. Yeah. 
Well, it's at least going to get score and like sound mixing. You know, that nothing is a guarantee. Nothing is a guarantee. Look, remember when uh, Force Awakens came out and got a film editing nomination? It deserved. I know. I just I'm saying sometimes these movies, you know, we know what's pretty much locked in, but then it could also surprise in some of these. Uh, still below the line categories, but they still surprised here. I was going to say, I did not think Last Jedi deserved a score nomination. Mm. Well, that was just for John Williams. Yeah, exactly. So you know that that's going to happen. I mean, yeah. It's also his last Star Wars score. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, that's true. And then the last question here pertaining to Star Wars this week at Royal Screw Ups How <laughs> much of a break should Star Wars take after episode nine before coming back to theaters? Hmm. Minimum two years. I'm going to say minimum five years. That's not going to happen. Wow. Not going to happen, but I agree. (laughs) I would go for like two. Yeah, two's fine. Three is the magic number for me. Yeah. Well, that's what they used to be. You're not going to have any Star Wars uh, hiatus because everything's going to be on Disney+. Plus. We have all these series that they just announced the other day. So if we're just talking about the theater, yeah, it could be two or three. But Star Wars is still going to be in people's minds months after this movie. And let's uh, take a moment to talk about that now. The Cinematic Streaming Wars, I am calling it, because Mm -hmm. all these companies are now going to do their best to compete with Netflix on the cinematic level, as opposed to the TV level. Or is it both? Who cares, Steven Spielberg? You're not listening to this anyway. (laughs) Bottom line is that Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus, sorry, Disney Plus, Criterion Channel, I mean, obviously they show older movies, but we don't know what that could evolve into. Like, movie streaming movies is now something that every single studio, Warner Brothers, like all of them, they are all going to try to do something. And it's going to be a breeding ground for new and exciting content, as we heard uh, over the last week. And I tell you, with Netflix announcing a price jump, in their subscription and Disney Plus announcing at six ninety nine a month. That's not going to last. No, but damn, you better get in that early and get locked in for at least a year. My lord, six ninety nine a month or sixty nine ninety nine for the year if you pay up front. That's which insanity. is an incredible deal. Yeah, my right. mother called me yesterday and said, "Should we drop Netflix when Disney Plus comes out?" <laughs> oh no! But the, no. the answer, and the answer is no. I said no, mom, because I need the two all the boys I've loved before sequel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I do think there will be people, particularly like of my parents' generation, who may end up being fine dropping Netflix whenever these other options come out that are more you know geared towards the niche that they care about. They're all catering to different audiences, I think, because Netflix, Netflix, their goal is to buy everything. Netflix, Netflix is trying to cater literally to everyone. They yeah. have so many shows and movies in development in so many different genres that they, they're literally the kind of streaming company that they just throw stuff at the wall and they see what sticks if and anything, what catches I can see on. People getting rid of things like HBO and Hulu. To come to Netflix. No, I think HBO is going to be around because that is niche yeah. in the sense that they have their – they cater towards the more mature adult content uh, where, like I was saying before, Netflix is like everybody. They've got kids stuff. they got teen stuff. They've got stuff for adults. They've got pop culture phenomenons like Stranger Things. Who knows what what the next one of those is going to be All around Ryan the corner. Shows now. And, cooking yeah. cooking channel stuff. Uh, you know, they, they comedy specials. Movies. Like Netflix literally has – 
everything and that's the one that I just can't see people canceling. What I'm trying to figure out when it comes to Disney Plus is I'm trying to figure out how much of it is going to be kitty fair and how much of it's going to be Matt Negley affair. It's going to be well, pretty well balanced. Well, they have all the Marvel movies. And, and all the Star Wars films. Yeah. Yeah, and but I... I graphic stuff. I'm looking at this uh, layout that they have, tentative layout, and right there is Free Solo. I forgot they have Free Solo. That's right. And are they even the getting, like, The Simpsons? Yeah, The Simpsons. Yeah. Because Fox. All right, so we know that they got Mike uh, Michael Schwartz subscription. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like... I don't know. I just don't know if I'd be ready to sign up for Disney Plus right away because, to be honest with you, a lot of these spinoff shows and things that they have announced pertaining to Marvel or Star Wars, like, for me personally, that doesn't excite me. Oh, they said the Loki TV show, and I was like, take my money. Take all of it. <laughs> That's what like, I thought when I heard Billy Crystal and John Goodman returning for Monsters Incorporated. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the thing, though. If Disney Plus starts to incorporate the Fox Searchlight or Fox catalog and they That's start doing... Happen. It's not yeah, but, but, but I don't mean also in terms year. of the backlog. I also mean, why don't you also start developing shows and other original movies for that crowd? Then that would be something I'd be very interested in. Yeah, a Lady Bird series, damn it. <laughs> well, well they, we are getting a Love, Simon series, yes, right? That, we're getting yeah. a Love, Simon TV show. I know. See, see yeah, that's the, give me that. Like, give me that stuff. Well, they I don't, are. <laughs> well, yeah, because to me, I don't want to have to be in a situation where, oh, my God. And I find this happens with Marvel a lot lately where the, it's like the, the TV shows slightly become canon for the movies and vice versa. And I just don't want to be, like, that immersed and dedicated that I have to, like, I just don't have that much time to invest. I just, I really don't. <laughs> you know? And, I'm going to say, I have not... Like, I watched for the Marvel shows. I mean, other than, like, the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all of Agent Carter, I watched, like, a couple episodes of Jessica Jones, and that's it. And I have not had any problem with the following the movies. Okay. All right. So maybe that's a concern that's not valid then. All right. That's that's good to hear. I'm excited to hear that they're adding the Disney Vault titles yep. to Disney+. Mm-hmm. Plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the big draw for me, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah, I'm I mean, only honestly, into my... Yeah, honestly, that is almost just worth the price of admission for me. <laughs> it's just all the back catalog stuff. Yeah, all I care about is the classic Disney stuff. I feel like the other things are a bonus for me personally. No, <laughs> no, that is not That's happening. I, but you know, it should forever. be. Uh, it, I agree, it should be. be. It's not just. It's not, it's not going to happen. That movie's yeah. never seen the light of day. They're going to pretend like that movie just didn't exist and Zippity Doo Dah just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Yep. And Spiny Mountain like doesn't acknowledge right. yeah. itself. <laughs> I think there's historical precedence for it to be seen by people who, you know, want to see what it's all about. But I don't think Disney should be promoting that as oh, one of our classic titles. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean it is. <laughs> It did win an Oscar for original mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they love the song. They just don't want to ever acknowledge where it came from. <laughs> All right. And Casey Lee Clark, you're writing an article for us, actually, that's going to be going up on Monday uh, in regards to your first week hands-on impressions with the Criterion channel. So I want to actually hear from you. Uh, maybe you could convince some of us to actually sign up for it. Uh, what, what's been your first uh, impressions with it so far? I mean, it's definitely very similar to Filmstruck to the point that I've even accidentally caught myself calling it that in conversation. 
but it's and it's also I would say different from other streaming services in the sense of the way it's set up. I don't know the full technical terms. I'm not tech savvy in any way about interfaces or whatever. But I guess it's like kind of difficult to figure out of it's like there's collections in there and then there's also just straight films and figuring out like your own lists and things. But as far as the entire catalog they have, they've got like over a thousand films. And I think it's got a little bit of everything of just films in the Criterion Collection, classic film, foreign film. There is still like some current independent and foreign films in there. Um, And then they also do a lot of like monthly things. So like they've got a thing going on right now of like Columbia film noirs and David Lynch stuff, which is interesting. Plus you've got, they have the little like curated shows that they have called like Adventures in Movie Going, like they did one where they interviewed Barry Jenkins and he talked about like some film recommendations and things. So I think it's worth it, but it's also everything I look for in a streaming service and anything. Mm-hmm. And I think also with um, physical media kind of becoming less the norm and also being an expensive thing, being a collector, I think that it's a good place for it all to live and like to see this stuff for the first time without like spending all the money. I mean, yeah, it is an expensive streaming service, but like, I think you're saving money in the long run. I don't know. I I think it's worth it, especially for just movies alone, as opposed to like, I feel like Netflix is more about TV and their like original programming as opposed to like, like we've, I feel like it's been said before of like their movie selection is, has its faults sometimes. So yeah. Dan Bayer will agree with me on this. Uh, physical media is really, really tough to hold in a New York City apartment. (laughs) It is, but God damn it, I will hold on to it for as long as I possibly can. Take mine. (laughs) (laughs) I will happily, Michael, come to the city and deliver it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe do like a giant moving truck with everything. (laughs) Instead of a fair, not Dan and I will take it. (laughs) Like, I only have room for one shelf in my room, and it's almost full with just Criterion titles. And In order to hold everything that I have, I have two bookcases and four drawers under my bed. (laughs) Um, And it's the really, honestly, the storage under the bed that is the only reason that I'm able to have all my Blu-rays and DVDs. I mean, yeah. I've seen it, people. I've seen it with my own eyes. (laughs) Confirm. (laughs) I picture like a Mary Poppins when they're tidying up the nursery and everything is like jumping around, going into cupboards and drawers, and it's just flying in and out. Mm. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> so it's going to be very interesting to see how all these streaming companies and everything it is that they're putting out there, how they all develop and how they all could try to compete with one another. And if Disney will just buy them all out, you never know. Uh, at this point, it's very, very exciting until it gets oversaturated and we're right back where we started with cable all over again. Uh-uh. And then who knows what's yeah. going to happen after that. I mean, and honestly, that's the thing that kind of pisses me off is that like the whole idea of the streaming was, you know, cable is too expensive and too proprietary. And now streaming is becoming exactly that. Yeah. And like, you know, it's fine. Like, I mean... I mean, I, I'm a member of Amazon Prime because Amazon. Hulu because it's cheaper than having a DVR. And Netflix because I just, I've had it for forever. But like, I, I, I really wanted to subscribe to Criterion. But I'm like, can I really justify spending that extra money? Like, 
I, it's not something I need. And like, there are more important things in life. I hate to say it than movies. Um, and I like with the constant more and more and more, and they're not being like one. I mean, honestly, Amazon is the place that has the most things. And I, that I can't imagine having like a different streaming service for every studio. It upsets me. <laughs> You're not wrong. And it's going to be a concern for us moving forward. Uh, but for right now, let's enjoy it while it, it while it lasts. Let's try out some different things. Let's get an appreciation. My biggest fear is not only uh, the cable comparison, but also, too, I just don't want to see people only paying to watch what they like because then I just feel like everyone's bubble then is going to get tighter and smaller. So I want us to be diversified. I want us to try to explore different possibilities and, you know, other types of cinematic films that are out there. Also, things from the past that you normally would not get a chance to watch. Um, I think that that's also very exciting. And if you're limiting yourself with these very niche streaming services, then, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive. And keep feeling film. So, in any event, uh, moving on from that, uh, we're going to move over to the polls now. We're going to talk about last week's poll, this week's poll. So, for last week's poll, it did pertain to Hellboy. We asked everyone which was their favorite franchise reboots of all time. We asked everyone to choose up to three. And tallying together all of the votes that were counted here, let's take a look and see what won out the poll last week. So, coming in at number one with 85 points is Batman Begins. Huh. Which, I don't know if I can argue with that, actually. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Coming from Batman and Robin and going to that, that was one hell of a good reboot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, second place, 73 votes, Mad Max Fury Road. Can't argue there. Yeah. In third place with 54 votes is Casino Royale. Correct. In fourth place with 50 votes, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Honestly, that would have been number one for me. And in fifth place with 36 votes, J.J. Abrams' reboot of Star Trek. Hmm. Which... Still has one of the best ensemble casts I've seen assembled in a film yeah. over the last decade, oh, yeah. I think. It's really good. Unfortunately, I don't think the subsequent movies live up to that first one, but the, in terms of the first reboot, it's really good. I liked Into Darkness, but the third one, oh, that was rough. Yeah, it was a little tough. Uh, I think once J.J. Abrams was not involved, it, it was lacking something for sure. Mm, yeah. Uh, for this week's poll, we are asking everyone for Under the Silver Lake, which... Finally, people are going to get a chance to see. <laughs> We're asking everyone which is their favorite Andrew Garfield performance. 
Choices are 99 Homes, The Amazing Spider-Man, Boy A, Breathe, Hacksaw Ridge, Lions for Lambs, Never Let Me Go, The Other Boiling Girl, Silence, The Social Network, and Under the Silver Lake. So, Michael, what has been your favorite Andrew Garfield performance so far? Easily The Social Network. I think he should have been nominated for that. I think it's his best work, and uh, I think he's just phenomenal in the movie. Casey? I also say Social Network. Dan, I will also say Social Network with the caveat that I haven't seen enough of his other work to really say. <laughs> Nicole? All right, I'm going to break the trend. Um, You're going to say Never Let Me Go. Because <laughs> it stars Kira Knightley. I'm catching on, Nicole. <laughs> I, hey, actually, I love that film. Kira Knightley and Carrie Mulligan. It also, part of it was filmed... Um, in the building next to the one that I lived in at St. Andrews. Oh, wow. Uh, so I have some like personal connection to it. Um, but I think he's brilliant in that and does a lot with a character that could have been like just really annoying. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, maybe that is predictable, but that is my favorite. Totally fair. Totally fair. Uh, Josh Parm. Well, I do like him in the social network, but I would actually say my favorite performance of his is in silence. Yes, preach. I, I really do think that is amazing work that, that he's doing in that film. I would also say that this isn't obviously my pick, but Boy A is another really good performance from him. It was sort of like the first time I saw him delivering like a really seriously great performance. And if anybody has the opportunity, I would recommend them check that one out too. Yeah, that's an underseen gem. And I think that was a movie that put him on the map actually for a lot of people. And I think it's Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's what got him cast in the social network, actually. Caught the eye of David think, Fincher. Yeah, probably. I think so, yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. certainly I don't think it was Lions for Lambs. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> I, I forgot like, that I've, he was even in that. I've seen everything he's been in from Never Let Me Go up until Silence. I don't think anyone saw Breathe, and he hasn't been in anything since that. I'll admit, I've never seen Breathe. That was something yeah, that, that I missed that year. If you want to talk about very obscure Andrew Garfield, um, he was in, uh, as a model, Simon Shama's Power of Art uh, documentary yes. series in the Caravaggio episode. That. And I remember watching it in my like AP Euro class and being like, is that Andrew Garfield? <laughs> <laughs> sure enough, it's him in 2006. Oh, that's so I funny. I have seen that. <laughs> 99 Homes, by the way, is a great movie. I agree. Second best performance next to... Uh, social network in my book all right and i I actually i'm gonna just reiterate uh what josh said before about silence and just throw this out there he should have gotten nominated for that over hacksaw ridge oh he's not very good in hacksaw ridge (laughs) it actually actively annoys me that he's nominated for hacksaw ridge if i had to give him one nomination of the year i would also go with silence but oh hacksaw ridge that accent is just terrible oh god so bad but he's also a tony winner he was great in angels in america last year no, he was not. Oh, <laughs> oh you too. I will <laughs> fight you on that to the death. I'm not that passionate about terrible. it, so <laughs> you could fight if you want, but I'm not going to make an effort here. <laughs> well, head on over to the polls page of nextbestpicture.com. Cast your votes, everyone. Let us know what you think is your favorite Andrew Garfield performance. And now... 
Before we get to the fan questions for this week and wrap everything up, we have one more trailer to discuss. This is a film that premiered earlier this year at South by Southwest and is coming out starring Kumail Nanjiani and Dave Bautista. It is called Stuber. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Please be a five-star ride. Hey! Uber? Yeah. Be cool, be nice. I'm Stu. How do you do? Compton. I'm LAPD. Let's go. What, do you have a more specific address? Compton! Stop yelling, neighborhoods. That's not how Uber works. Do something! Hi. Hi, ladies. What the hell's going on? You selected the Uber pool option. Uber what? Ladies, official police business. Is that even real? Get out of the car! Official police business? Just going to see a friend. Take this. Oh, I am not touching that. It's a baby gun. It allows you to fire it. While crying. Is this an Uber? <laughs> Get angry! Stop that! Why are you laughing? Hold it! This is the least! Oh! Oh! Stop me! Oh! You got a shot in the leg. Good for you, man. You shot the first guy. Oh! You're scared, Miss Boo! And I love it! How do you know my dad? I got an idea! Put this propane tank at them. You shoot it, you blow up their car. He kidnapped me. Huh. Doesn't freaking Jaws. Exactly, just like Jaws, it's gonna work. Ready? We killed some people. Go! Oh! Huh. Take a shot, Stu! Just defeat him! Stu, take a shot! Operator, we need help. Someone's trying to murder us. Hello, operator. We need help. Someone's trying to murder us. <laughs> I find it very, like, slightly suspect that David Batista is starring in two movies that are very, very similar this year. Both this and um, My Spy, where he's like this, you know, big badass hulk of a man in a comic relationship with someone who is the exact opposite of him well they feel like movies that the yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) that also (laughs) now i i agree with that i think dave batista has more range than the rock does though if i i'm being very honest i actually think he's a better actor i would agree i'm just happy to see kumail you know getting more work after the big sick and as a leading role even if it is a co-lead with Dave Bautista, um, I find it kind of funny that I feel like, and I I could be wrong here, I kind of feel like this was directly inspired by The Big Sick. Yeah. Is that, like, true? Does anyone know that, if that's, like, like legitimate? Well, he plays an Uber driver in both. But that's what I mean. Like, did somebody see that and they go, oh, wouldn't it be really funny if we wrote a whole movie around Camille Nanjiani as an Uber driver? What does that movie look like? Oh, let's throw in The Rock. Oh, we can't get The Rock. Well, who's the next person we can get? You know? (laughs) So I almost feel like that's where they were going with this. But now the question that I just, you know, when when you have a movie like this, the number one question is, did the trailer make you laugh? And did anyone here not think it was funny? I just feel like the trailer gave everything away like I feel like it showed so much and it was at like an 11 or 12 the entire time I can't fault you for that I actually think I agree 
Uh, I have a feeling this might be a movie where the best bits might have been in the trailer. Yeah, it felt like a very uneven trailer for me. There were some things that I laughed at, but most of it, I was kind of like, oh, that's cute. And isn't it funny how we just had that piece uh, go up on Friday, actually, of what we all look for in trailers? Yeah. So it's interesting how The Rise of Skywalker... You know, is a kind of trailer that gives us a little bit of misdirection, possibly gives us just enough to, you know, comment on a few different things. The story is a little unclear, you know, so it leaves that open where this is kind of handing everything on a silver platter. Yeah, I just kind of I, I thought the beginning bits of it were quite funny, like the kind of setting up of the whole like Uber driver joke. But by the end of it, I was kind of like, wait, what? Like, who who wants this film? Like. It just feels a bit too out there and like, like, you know, like you said, like we just saw too much. Well, I mean, like it it is a little odd to me that I feel like I whoever said the rock comparison. Now I'm just thinking about all the rock Kevin Hart movies (laughs) and how this just feels like it's that exact same formula, just with different actors. Mm -hmm. Like what was that movie? Central Intelligence, right? Yeah, that that's what this movie feels like to a T. Well, this movie also feels like another in a long line of kind of glossy studio comedies that pretty much have no like kind of imprint outside of you just wanting to see the two actors in the center. Like it yeah. doesn't this movie doesn't feel like it really will have anything brought to it except for the chemistry that Bautista and uh, Kumail Nanjiani have. And that is kind of boring after a while. And that's why it doesn't really look all that great to me. It does have Eagle Uace in it, though. Yeah. Who, for those that don't know, the Raid? Raid 2? Headshot? No? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... But, you know, is that somebody that's going to be used effectively, or did they just hire him because he can do some fight scenes? I mean, there was Mile 22, after all, and we did see the opposite side of that, so you're right. <laughs> Fun fact about oh, this movie God. is that it'll be the first... Uh, R-rated film to be distributed by Walt Disney Studios since The Fifth Estate back in 2013. Hmm. Now, is that because this was a 20th Century Fox movie that was bought by them? Correct. Oh, my Lord. And then The Fifth Estate was DreamWorks, which at the time was under the Disney label. The ripple effect of Disney Mm -hmm. continues. Somebody should recut the trailer to present like a green band Disney version. (laughs) That would actually be really funny. I I would love to see that. You could do it pretty easily. Yeah, I think so. Like, don't make it about violence and everything and just cut all those bits out. Just make it look like it's one of those studio comedy films. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, in any event, I'm happy for Camille. That's like the number one takeaway here for Mm -hmm. me. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, exactly. So I I hope he knows that too. He might have forgotten about me. I don't know. Been a bit busy. (laughs) I don't blame him. You know, he was at WrestleMania cheering Batista on at ringside. I get it, you know. Whatever. So uh, with that said, we're now going to move over to a final bit of the show here. We're going to answer some lingering fan questions. So a couple of different things here. We got some people asking about The Lion King. So Mm. we had a second trailer for that. A Clay 19 asks, if The Lion King is indeed great, could it be an Oscar player outside of just the tech categories? No. Well, that assumes that it. That assumes that it will be 
great. Right, yeah. <laughs> and on the off chance that it's actually great, yeah. We have a very broad range of reactions here on this podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> on one hand, I assume if I ask everybody here, should The Lion King have been nominated for Best Picture in 1994, majority here would say yes? So if this film is following the exact same formula, is practically a shot for shot remake and is just updating the visuals for a new generation. But like, honestly, you know, look at the visuals in the most recent trailer. Look at the visuals from the same scenes from the animated movie. They look worse in this. I don't agree with that. I like the photorealistic it look. Is, it, but I don't mind the lack of color. I think the, it adds a whole new element to have it look like you're actually looking at a real-life lion. I have no problem with the photorealism aspect of it, but the composition of the frames, the colors that they're using, the the sense of movement in the original animated version it is so much more evocative and pleasing to the eye than this. Right. Well, Dan, let's just take solace in the fact that it's not the 2019 Guy Ritchie version of Aladdin. So, <laughs> I honestly, I was more impressed by the trailer for Aladdin than this. Wow. Oh, no, because I mean, it doesn't look like a shot for shot remake. It looks like it has its own personality. I mean, yes, it's incredibly disappointing that they, for some reason, decided Aladdin has to wear a shirt. But <laughs> other <true>. than that. <laughs> now, I want to ask this question. Does anybody know? through their own research, if the Lion King shot anything using motion capture or an actual physical movie camera on a stage. It was done on a blue screen stage in Los Angeles. What was? I I don't know (laughs) what they did there. All I know is that they did film it on a stage in LA, I guess maybe for the scenery, and then they, just like they did with the Jungle Book, without the actual human Mowgli there. I, I don't know how they did it, but it was done in Los Angeles. The only thing I can imagine is when I've watched like the Avatar or the Peter Jackson uh, behind the scenes stuff for things like the Hobbit trilogy, where they have like a CGI environment and they take the camera onto a blue screen stage and they're able to move the camera around. And, but through the monitor, like the director is able to see the CGI environment and can put the camera in these interesting angles that in the physical world they would not be able to do. That's like the only thing I could possibly imagine that they did because. I need the release of behind-the-scenes video confirming for me that this indeed was done using motion capture in a studio with the camera, because if not, to me, this is an animated film and is not visual effects. Uh, You will have an entire year to have these debates and hear about how they did the movie. Once we get closer to release, they're going to be putting out millions of videos, I'm sure. Yeah, but that's but I think that's contingent upon uh, what its Oscar chances will be in other categories then. You know, once we have that distinction, I know Caleb Deschanel is doing something with cinematography. I don't know what that means. How that could be what Roger Deakins did with How to Train Your Dragon. But I think this is a different type of thing because that How to Train Your Dragon is pure animation. I think this is almost like a hybrid. Mm, anyone? Animation, visual effects. My assumption was that they were using motion capture for most of the performances. Uh, so I. You know, I don't have any confirmation of that, but it seemed like that's what they were going to do for this film. 
Okay. So tying into that then, uh, Josh Blumkrantz asks us, which film is going to win Best Animated Film at the Oscars? Toy Story 4, or if it does get nominated, The Lion King? Toy Story 4. The Missing Link. Frozen 2. No, I'm just Frozen kidding. Frozen 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that girl power that we just had, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, think that you, I think we all have to have Toy Story 4 in the win slot right now. The only way I could see Lion King, you know, even... First of all, it has to contend, obviously, based on the you know debate that's raging about it right now. Two, the Academy has to feel like they missed something by not rewarding the 1994 film because there was no best animated feature film, but they gave it two Oscars anyway. So yeah. I don't know why they would feel compelled or guilty into wanting to give this them best animated feature film. So it, that just doesn't make sense to me. And when it comes to visual effects, I think the debate will be so great that they may just default to something like The Irishman instead. I I think this will win visual effects. Yeah, it's going to be that. competitive though because you have Lion King, Cats, Star Wars, Gemini Man, Irishman. Yeah, <laughs> Gemini Man. Well, Gemini Man, regardless of how the movie itself is, I think Ang Lee is going to pull off something pretty amazing with that technology. Sure. Okay. Uh, next question here. Uh, it's still sight unseen and while until it premieres, uh, what do you think of little women's award season chances? After all, it has a late release date, uh, which could possibly work against it. This is coming from Luca Leonardo 99. Uh, are we talking what we think is going to happen or what we hope happens with little women? <laughs> think. I don't care. I don't care about your hopes, Michael. Okay. It's all about what, what <laughs> you think. Realistically. And this is where I am right now. I think it gets like production design, costume design and score. That's where I'm at, too. Yeah. I like to say adapted screenplay, but I, I, it's hard because, like, the 94 version was really good and sort of didn't do so great at the Oscars. So it, it'll it be interesting to see how this one does. For Winona, for Winona Ryder, yeah. What, but I, I, I weirdly don't see that happening this time around. I could see it getting the same three that it got before, which is best actress, best costume design, and best original score. It could get an acting nomination. Watch, it could get picture, it is director Saoirse Ronan. and screenplay, too. It is Saoirse Ronan, but also, like, Little Women is a property we've seen so many times before. Um, we also that, just had are a they Star really going, is this... <laughs> Well, yeah. that's true, also, but that was a man, but that was a notably time... different version of A Star Is Born, and it remains to be seen. You know how how different this is going to be from the previous versions. If it's different enough from the previous versions of Little Women, I have no reason why it wouldn't get like Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress. Well, Karen Gerwig has said that she's trying to bring like a newer. You know, it's it's not going to be the same movie. And I will point out that movie came out the year that I was born, Dan. Like, it's been a while. <laughs> Cole, stop it. Don't make me <laughs> Dan, I wasn't even born. <laughs> I'm hanging up this call now. I, I refuse to be around on this podcast with literal babies. <laughs> <laughs> and tying this all together, from Movie Fanatic 200, sticking with film titles that have the word uh, women or woman in it, what are your Oscar potential predictions for The Woman in the Window and Wonder Woman 1917? Well, they both have something in common in terms of my Oscar predictions, and that is zero nominations each. <laughs> Man, 
I you know that is tough because Wonder Woman failed to get a single nomination yeah, and um, they would have to Terminator two themselves in terms of critical reception uh, to get in my opinion the kind of uh, response that would garner a nomination for the second one. Although once again, Wonder Woman came very close. I feel like in every category it was contending in. It came Deadpool close. No, I, I disagree. I think it was number six in like costume design uh, and probably in some of the sound categories. Maybe even uh, did it make the visual effects break off? I can't remember actually. I don't think no. it did. Uh, okay. Well, maybe I'm misremembering that part of it. But either way, though, Wonder Woman definitely, in my opinion, came a little bit closer than Deadpool did. But uh, wait, Matt, Matt, wasn't I thought Wonder Woman was 1984? Huh? Wasn't it? Isn't it Wonder Woman 1984? Isn't that the title? Oh, that's what I meant to say. I'm that's sorry. I was looking at. Said. I was no. I was <laughs> no. I was looking at another tweet that uh, had uh, the Sam Mendes question in oh. for 1917, and oh, I must okay. have accidentally. <laughs> I must have accidentally said that. I'm sorry. Didn't that was we, the first we already Wonder do Wonder that movie for Wonder Woman? <laughs> yeah, yeah, my my bad. My bad. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, yes. So Wonder Woman 1984, uh, and also Woman in the Window. You know, Joe Wright. Very hit or miss when it comes to awards. You never know if he He's has... every other movie. Right. And since his last movie was a hit with Darkest Hour, it stands to reason that this one will not land as well. But who knows? The pedigree, I think, is there. Although I have heard conflicting reports in regards to the source material and what that could then mean for tr- its translation to the big screen. Well, and the author. It's started preview screenings already, hasn't it? Yes. And I heard that it, like not very good reactions from those. Well, that's what preview screenings are for. Yeah. Annihilation had bad preview screenings, remember? Well, but Annihilation is not a movie that's designed for the masses. Yes, that juggernaut, that Oscar (laughs) juggernaut. (laughs) Should have been an Oscar juggernaut. Exactly. All right. Well, anyone else have anything before we go? I have a question um, (laughs) specifically for Matt and Josh because I was just thinking about this. Since you've both seen Hellboy and I think you also have both seen Serenity... Yes. Which yep. is worse. Oh, Hellboy is way worse than Serenity. I, I was thinking that too. I was like, in a movie, like for a movie to be worse than Serenity, like that <laughs> oh, takes yeah. a lot. <laughs> Serenity at least has the discovery factor of yes. you are amazed at how like laughably bad it is and yes. you just want to keep watching to see where it's going to go. Hellboy is just a slog all the way through and each new scene you just there is no discovery to that film you are just in agony all the way through yeah believe it or not i actually have hellboy one notch above serenity Mm. okay but they're like but they're literally right next to each other in my list of movies i've seen this year (laughs) but i i do have hellboy ranked above it only because uh I think I said this to Josh on the podcast. I, I I keep going back and forth between a grade of two and a grade of one. And if I had graded it a one, it'd probably be less. But there's something about this this movie for me that I, 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 like I, I, I thought it was awful. Don't get me wrong. But I didn't like walk away from it like hating it or anything like that. Um, then again, Serenity is the kind of movie, Dan, that upon reflection, like I actually... 
have kind of fond memories of watching it right? in, in, in the room sort of way. Right? Like, I can't wait for it to be released on anything so that I can watch it again. I think when I get to the end of year and I really finalize everything and I move some stuff around, I, I definitely think that these two will flip-flop just because of how they grow in esteem in my mind. And I think Hellboy has the potential to get worse where Serenity only has the chance to go up. No, it can't get any worse. <laughs> I have a piece of news before we end the show. Oh, yeah, sure. Came out. What's going on? Uh, Bond 25 is set to start filming very, very soon. Oh, that's exciting. And right now they hired someone to punch up the script a little bit. I heard about this too. Yes, uh, Josh, do you want to say who it is? Yeah, it's uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. <gasps> really? Here for that. That's awesome. Yeah, although she's now the fourth writer being brought onto that movie, which doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence, but... No. I'm glad just that she's participating. At least there's that. She certainly she... knows something about action and suspense, if anyone's seen uh, Killing Eve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's for real. I don't believe this will be the end of Corey Fukunaga's career. So, however many writers it may end up being... I have absolute trust and confidence in that project. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm going to try to keep the faith more than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, I've got a Game of Thrones uh, premiere party to uh, get ready for, so <laughs> i got to get going. With that said, uh, Michael, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me at Casey Lee Clark on everything. Dan Bayer. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. Nicole Ackman. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Nicole Ackman16. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 138 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, ACAST, Castbox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. I'm really, really trying to get us up to 200 podcasts reviews and we're currently we're at 127 so if you like what we do head on over there rate us five stars if you want to leave a comment that's great too but man give us a rating i would love to hit that milestone and also too if you head on over to patreon for one dollar minimum a month you can get some exclusive podcast content including our 2015 retrospective which we are doing in the off season we're currently reviewing game of thrones season eight we have next best theater and some other surprises coming on down the road as well Thank you once again for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.